Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. All right, guys, we're back to continue the conversation on the Enneagram. Let's get into that. What is the Enneagram? Uh, the Enneagram is a, the Enneagram actually, like the Enneagram on one level is a sacred symbol that has within it everything you'd ever want to know about life. It sort of is like this mystery. Mm -hmm. So it will tell you anything. It will tell you how systems evolve and default. It will tell you this, everything is built into it because it, it is a, it is a mystical sacred symbol that has so much in it. Like there are other ones like the star of David or the flower of life. That's on one level what it is. So it is a, an invitation to know all of the answers to all of questions in life. But that's not how most people use it. How most people use it is a way to deeply understand ourselves and others from the inside out. Because what the Enneagram does on that level is it's not descriptive of what just happens like Myers-Briggs, which is an elegant system, but doesn't tell you about motivation or attention. It tells you sort of how, what, how do you perceive the world and therefore how do you act, but it doesn't tell you why. The Enneagram tells you why you perceive. It tells you about core motivation. So on the surface, the Enneagram is a way of understanding ourselves and others. And it basically says all of us experience life through one of nine stories, mm -hmm. all of us. And you can only experience it through one of them. It's sort of like it's like we're different kinds of animals and our motivations there. It says there are nine motivations and there are therefore nine different types of people. And people say, well, that's putting me in a box. And I'd say, no, it's just revealing to you the box that you're in that you're not aware of. So you project onto the world from inside that box. Mm -hmm. All it does is it reveals to you the lens through which you're seeing life. So you'll see the limitation. The Enneagram on the surface says actually that there are three variations of three kinds of people. They're called, <clears throat> excuse me, belly people, heart people, and head people. Yeah. And belly people basically say what we do is we make a mistake. We reverse being and a part of being. So like Descartes, for example, says, I think, therefore I am, right? Well, you know he has to be wrong. because being is a higher order experience than thinking. Mm. So anyone who says, I think, therefore I am, is a head person. Anyone who says, I feel, therefore I am, is a heart person. And anyone who says, I sense and, and act from what I sense is a belly person. Can you so be a of all three at some point? No. No? Okay. You can have aspects of all of them, but you have a home base. Okay. We all have all of them in us. But it's we start with what's fundamental to us, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a belly person, what's fundamental to you is I am responsible, therefore I am. The belly people are called the points of um, there's a mental thing that they're called and there's an emotional thing. The mental aspect of the belly points is called self-forgetting. Mm -hmm. The emotional aspect is called anger. So it's everyone has to deal with self-forgetting and anger, but it says this is home base for belly people, okay? And self-forgetting means that you know how to respond to other, but you don't know your own true desire. Mm. So it's the kind of person who says, <clears throat> as my dear partner in this says, you know, 
give me anything in the world and I will make it better. He says, give me, I don't know anything about menus. If I go into the best restaurant, really, and this is true of her, and you give me a menu, I can make it better. But if you give me a blank menu and say, what do you really want this restaurant to be? She'd say, now I'm having a lot of anxiety, mm -hmm. right? So all belly points are variations, three variations of self-forgetting and anger. Why anger? Because it feels like you're forgotten, right? Really what happens is you've forgotten yourself. You get angry at yourself. But it's the kind of person who would say, you know, no one ever really asked me what I was feeling or what I, who I was or what I was thinking. So what I learned to do was to respond to everybody else. I feel like and, you're coming for me, Dr. Hahn. I feel like this is an attack for me. <laughs> well, that's very good. Whoops, and I just lost my headset. <laughs> I still hear you. Don't worry. Well, we'll go back to that in a second. Okay, so that's the first kind of person. This person who says, I don't know what I truly desire, mm -hmm. but I know how to be responsible. And... I'm angry because on some level, no one really ever said, who are you or what do you want or even what are you experiencing, right? That's the first type of person. So really what it is, is belly people process through their belly. That means that you perceive something through your belly. What does that mean? If you're an aide in the system called a protector, you walk into the room and hierarchically you can just sense who's in control, who has the power, what's happening. And if, if I asked you, how do you know who was the most powerful person in the room? And how did you know who you had to respond to in this way and that way? You just say, I could sense it. It's not like I figured it out. It's not like I had a feeling about it. I could just sense it. Or if you're a nine called a mediator, right? I will go back to these things, but a nine, you walk into a room and you can say, I can tell how much harmony or conflict there is in the room. How can you tell? I just knew, right? Or if you're a perfectionist, you walk into a room and you can say, oh, everything is perfect here or something's agitating, right? So all of these people who are belly points, they're, they're called belly points because they perceive through their bellies, mm -hmm. okay? So, and there are going to be three variations of that. But if you're someone who says your whole life, you know what, when I really think about it, I've always been the one who responds in some way. I respond about protecting. I respond about creating peace. I respond about creating per perfection. But there's something out there that I respond to. You're a belly person, okay? If you're a heart person, it's a totally different deal. It's not, you see, if you're a belly person, your energy, it's interesting because you process through your belly, but your energy is up and diffuse. Why? Because you don't know your own heart's desire, so you're not really here, Right? So it's like you dissociate from your heart. So what you want to do, if I'm a belly person, you know, it's like the very best thing I could do to, for you would be to say, if you only did what you wanted to do and not what you were needing to do or what you were responsible for, what would you do if you did what you wanted? And if you're most belly people, it never occurred to me. I mean, like, and if I said, you know, what would happen if all you did all day was just, you know, you have your list, but you're not going to do your list. You're just going to read a book if you want to, because you just feel like lying on the couch. I mean, that's not quite yeah. the club. Say, what? I mean, like I have my, you know, so that's a belly people. Heart people are sort of like, I feel, therefore I am. So I'm going to process through my heart. What do you process through the heart? Am I acceptable to you? 
So every heart person has to create a kind of image. They're called image despair points. In the books, they're called image feeling points because the teachers say they don't know what they're feeling because they're really they're trying to get a reaction from another person, right? What do I have to be so that you're going to approve of me and accept me? That's what a heart person says. How will I know? Oh, you like me, you know, right? That's a heart person. So I can do that in three ways, right? I create an image. And the image is, if I'm one of them called a giver, I say, what do I have to be so I take care of your needs so you can't live without me so I feel worthy? That's a giver, right? So they're givers, are, you know, they take care of people's needs. They're unbelievably good at it. The problem is, with all these points, you don't do it from a place of freedom because you're really doing it from a compulsion, which we'll get to later about when you ask me about essence work, which I think is like we have to get there in a second, but we will. But all, or if I'm a performer, it's like I do something and you give me applause, you know, Sally Fields, oh my God, you liked me for my performance, right? So performers have, it means both aspects of performing. It means you do something, but you're also, it's, you're both kinds of actors. You take action, but you're also like an actor in a play. It's like, I, you know, I dress for success. You know, a, a performer might, certain performers, you, know, you look at their closets, it's like, you know, they have three-piece suits for their daytime, then they have the leather jackets, and they say, like, you know, I dress so I will be, you know, I'll dress so I'll be successful, you know, Bill Clinton, you know, yeah. I will, just, I will be whatever you need me to be so that you guys will go like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, what can I tell you? But I mean, like, and, and, and it has to be something tangible, right? It's like you want, if you're going to get, you want, you want something that's you want people to applaud you, you, you want. Yes, you want act Exactly. That's a performance. Mm -hmm. And if you're a romantic, basically what you do is you go inside, you find what you think is an authentic image that makes you unique and different from everybody else, and then you put it out to the world and they better respond to it. You want to think about that. I mean, I like movies. James Dean. If you think of James Dean in any movie, he is a romantic, really. But it's like, you know, it's, it's uh, anyone who is like saying, who am I authentically? Except for the fact that it's an image of authenticity because... You don't want to show people the things you're ashamed to admit about yourselves. So it's not real authenticity. It is an idealized authenticity to make up for a, a sense of, uh, of lack, right? So you have to create what? I said, it's interesting. You have to make up for lack. That, yeah, that, well, that kind of stood out. Oh. <laughs> all right. So. Those are three different ways. I either create an image of someone you can't live without, I create an image of someone who's successful, or I create an image of someone who's special and unique, mm -hmm. all in order to get a response from you. Now, you could say, once you know that, it's not hard to extrapolate what's going to happen, because all of these people are going to go, originally, any hard person, whether they're a giver, a performer, or a romantic, their energy is going to go forward and out towards you on some level. Because I have to find out on some level what you're going to respond to and become that in order to get your approval. So, of course, I lose my center, not this way, because I don't know my heart's desire, but I lose it this way, which means I'm not going to be very discerning, right? So I've lost my head. If I want you to like me, I, you know, I go to the used car salesman and he says, oh, I have 10 cars you could buy. And I say, oh, great, you know, that'll make me special or something in his eyes. And suddenly I buy 10 cars and I said, why did I do that? Right. And it's because I wanted a kind of response. So I, I lose my discernment.
right? So if the belly people don't know their heart's desire, heart people lose their just they lose their heads. They're like no heads when they're in their stuff. Okay, the last group are called head types, and head people the words are called uh, fear and the the emotional issue is called fear, right? And the mental issue is usually called paranoia, but it's certainly some kind of doubt. It's that the world is a dangerous place. So you're going to have three variations of that. Um, and they're called the observer whoops, and uh, the loyal skeptic. And the seven, five is called the observer. Six is called the loyal skeptic. And seven is in the system I learned. It's called the epicure, but it's also called the adventurer in many systems. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of them are saying the world is a dangerous place, but they do three different things. Right. In because in. Um, you can sort of do, I mean, you can pull back when something's dangerous, right? And say, I'll just pull back here. So I'm just going to observe everything and no one can touch me, right? I go, and then I'm going to probably be a great scientist. And it's like an awakenings, you know, where I've studied mitochondria for, you know, 20 years and I'm the world expert on mitochondria, but I better not go and say to the nurse that I really like, you know, I really want to go out with you because now, the, you know, you could like reject me and then I don't have enough energy anyway. And like, it'll be an awful thing. So I, I can't say I love you mm. because now I'm giving away my energy, but I, but I want to be, you know, there's so much to say about this stuff, you know, or, you know, but so there's a fear there you're starting with or loyal skeptics. Basically, the, the fear is that the world is actually literally a dangerous place. Right. It's sort of the person who like says, I'm a nobody. And then what are you going to do when you're a nobody? You do fight, flight, or freeze, right? And so it can look very different depending on I mean, if 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 you're if you're someone who says the world is a dangerous place, let's say, you know, a mouse comes into the room and you're afraid of mice, right? Well, you can cower, then you look a little like Woody Allen in his movies, right? That's me when or, I'm nice. I have a phobia. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, you see, we all have all of these things, but you can cower, you can get paralyzed, or you can go and attack it. So you can either go backwards, you can jump on the care and freeze, or you can bite the mouse's head off. Mm -hmm. But even when you're biting the mouse's head off in that situation, it's because you were afraid of the mouse, right? So you attack from a place of fear. Or the, the adventure of the epicure basically says, what's dangerous is what you're going to fill me up with. So. I don't want to be, it says what's dangerous is pain or boredom because um, I don't want to be filled up with pain and boredom because like I'm a glass that's half full, but you know, you're going to fill up the rest of it. So I have to find a way to, to sort of be uh, clever in order to um, make sure I get what I want, but you're going to think you get what, I mean, the classic example, of this is Tom Sawyer, right? And Huck Finn, you know, they're supposed to paint a fence, boredom, they want to play, right? And they're going to be forced to paint the fence. So they're being trapped, they're being, it's going to be painful, it's going to be boring. So what do they do? They say to all their friends, have we got a game for you? It's called painting the fence. You guys just only have to pay us 25 cents each. And he's got, you know, got the whole world painting fences for him, paying him money while he goes off fishing. That is the classic epicurean story because i'm going to have the best experiences and you're going to think you're getting something good and i know that i'm pulling the wool over your eyes that sort of classic fixated adventure you know 
So I only want to have good experiences. Then you'll never trap me. You'll never bore me and I'll never have to feel anything painful. And so even those stories where you look like you're the life of the party on one level, it's based in fear. So there are these three kinds of people, belly people, I respond, heart people, I move forward. I want to feel something that you like me and head people. I want to get away from something. And then all you need to know is there are three variations of each of them. Okay. So in the belly, it's what are you going to do with your self-forgetting and your anger? And the core of it is called the central point, which is the identification with self-forgetting and the dissociation of anger is called a mediator. And a mediator is someone who says, I know everybody's point of view, but my own. Mm. They wouldn't say that. But if you said to a mediator, where do you want to go for lunch? They'd say, wherever you want, dear, because if you're happy, I'm happy. Right. That's a mediator. If you want it in a nutshell, because then there'll be no tension. And at some point or other, and it looks really good. A lot of women, for example, say, oh, my God, I have this guy. And he's so great because like he never like forces himself on me. He never like he says, whatever you want, dear, I'll make it happen. You know, and, you know, and if you want something, I'm really good at making it happen until sort of into the marriage or into whatever they realize. Say, like, God, I have to make all the decisions here because every time I say to him, you know, what do you want? He says, whatever. If you're happy, I'm happy. And at some point you say, you know, I thought he was going along with me and I thought he was going along with me, but really there wasn't a he there at all. He was just merging with me and like saying, like, you know, I don't know what I want, but I know how to respond to you. And that's the problem for I mean, so if you're a mediator, what you have to begin to do is to say, really, I'm going to do something that's going to create a lot of tension. I'm going to say, actually, I want Thai food. But then if you say, well, okay, that's interesting. Let's think about this. We could go for Italian. A media would say, well, why the fuck did you? No, that's okay. Why, why, why did you ask my opinion? Because you knew what you wanted anyway, and we're going to have Thai food, you know, or whatever, Italian, whatever you want. So it's like, you know, you think someone's going along with you, but it's not. So, and, and you have all the gifts of someone who, who's a mediator who says, I know from the inside out what it is you want. It's I. It's like spirituality, but without any ego. Mm. But you have to have an ego in order to be there. So it's sort of like pseudo-spirituality. It's like what we all aspire to, except for the fact that first we have to hold on to something in order to let go of it. They never. So it's totally, in its most fixated form, it is symbiosis. That's a mediator, right? Interesting. And then you have... A perfectionist and what a perfectionist does, so what you get with a mediator is they dissociate from knowing what they want and then they dissociate as a mediator also, right? Because they that's how they handle, you know, knowing what they want is they just go further up. A perfectionist is the exact opposite. A perfectionist, their energy dissociates because they don't know their heart's desire, but they substitute the internalization of anger and the internalization of self-forgetting. What does that mean? It means I don't know what I want, but I know what the right thing is. And if you don't live up to a standard, you're going to lacerate yourself. So if you talk to a perfectionist, they're going to say, you know, you say, oh, my God, you did a great job. You got a 98. And the perfectionist will say, yeah, but I got two wrong. And if I had only studied harder and I had worked more, I could have improved. So there's always this like self laceration, which, of course, then. If, if you don't follow the rules also, a, a fixated perfectionist will start 
being like going like this to you, right? And the interesting thing, of course, is if you think about all the different stories that are there, you know, if you think Miss Manners and Mahatma Gandhi are basically telling you the same story, right? They are. They're saying there are rules to live by or principles to live by, but the surface may be very different, but the underlying motivation of Miss Manners and Mahatma Gandhi is exactly the same thing. There's a vision to be had, and we're all aspiring to that vision, right? Absolutely. Same story, right? That's why this stuff is so interesting because you get people who are so different on the surface. It really, but underneath it, I think that's yeah. what kind of intrigued me when I was like looking at all the work that you do, where you, we have so many different personalities. We have so many things that we um, that come either from our past or from um, childhood, how we've been raised, and how it impacts how we show up each and every day. So I thought that was just so fascinating, and then just hearing about the belly piece, I was like, oh. <laughs> Well, we can find out which one you are, because if you're a belly point, I think I know, but we can figure that out. But here's the thing. What you need to know is your experience does not create your personality. Mm, okay. I'll tell you why. Okay. I'll give you a simple example. Mm -hmm. Suppose you like dogs and you have a cat, mm -hmm. right? And you say, I will only feed you if you chase tennis balls. And I'm only going to feed you if you bark and don't meow right? I might get you to chase tennis balls. I might, if your vocal cords can do it, even teach you how to bark, but I won't turn you into a dog. I'll just turn you into a confused cat. Mm, that is so interesting. <laughs> so I do not think that environment in one generation creates your fundamental perceptual mode any more than I think you can turn in one generation a dog into a cat. Mm. But that doesn't mean life experience doesn't matter because believe me, if you were with that cat and say, oh my God, I know what you want and you want some space. You don't want to like lick my face, even if I want someone to lick my face because I know you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, if I'm your parent, I'm going to say, okay, I have a cat child. How would a cat want to be treated if I knew my child was a cat, even if I like dogs better? Right. That is and then- interesting. Isn't it? It though? is. It really, really is. It's putting a lot of things into perspective. Okay. And if you're a belly point, my guess is you'd be a protector. You have very big energy and it's like, you know, and I don't know, you could say if you're a belly point and you're a protector, here's how you would know. Protecting the ones you love is fundamental, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Justice is fundamental. But I will tell you what's truly fundamental, which is the contribution of my partner, Joni, who is also, she's an eight. And eight women get a lot of interesting responses, uh, which I can talk to you about. If You know hierarchy, like nobody's business. So like you go into a situation and you'll know what's most important and you'll know what's less important. And you'll say, we can strip it away. We can bullet point it and like, let's clear it out. And nine times out of 10, you'll be more confident than the person you're going to. Okay. Then you know you're a protector. And if you're a protector and you're as affable as, I mean, like you kind of remind me of Joni. You should talk to Joni someday. I mean, she could teach you about this. She's, you know, I have, I'm very, very lucky that we're, we get to be partners in this. But like, she's, she's what's called a sexual protector. A sexual protector. So you have to know that there's not only your point of view, but there's also something called instinctual drives and it colors it. So it says that there are three basic drives in life. Okay. And if you think about it, you need to do three things to survive. And this is fundamentally important in the Enneagram. 
you have to preserve, right? You'll die if you don't have food and shelter, right? You have to be able to connect both because if you don't connect, you won't create offspring. And if you don't connect, once you have an offspring, you know, there won't there won't be some kind of connection between you and you have to belong because we have to be parts of clans. And what the Enneagram says is we stack those things. So it looks very different if you're a self-preserving protector versus what's called the sexual subtype protector. And, and because the self-preserving protector, there's three energies, right? There's the heart, there's the, the center energy. So you're a belly point. Your center energy goes up and diffuse because you don't know your heart's desire. Like I once met like um, a protector and I said to her what I just said to you. And she said, I know what I want. I do whatever I want. I said, really? Yeah. She says, I'm on three boards and I take whatever I want and I lead them and I whatever. And I said, okay, what do you really want? She said, you don't get it, right? You don't get it. I do whatever I want. You know, uh, there's stuff that has to be done in the house. I do it. I said, uh-huh, what do you really want? And that woman who never cried started to cry hysterically. And she said, I have no idea what I want. And if that resonates for you and you have very big energy and you're the person that everybody goes to and you're the most competent person around and you know hierarchically what's important and you make shit happen, but you don't have a fucking clue about what it is you really desire, you're a protector. <laughs> and then the work for you is you have to deal. You asked me about essence work because if you're a protector, what I would say to you is if you really want to heal and grow, stop doing all of it. Mm. When someone says to you, should we go this way or that way? I say, I don't know. I don't know what's best for you. If they say, um, if, if you've been having the Thanksgiving party at your house every year for the big family, one year you say, you know, I don't feel like doing it. What I'm going to do is I am just going to lay on the couch and eat bonbons while all of you guys take care of everything. And I'll just sit here and like, you know, I, I'm sure you can get it done fine. Mm. Right. Or, you know, your husband says, like, you know, should we do this or that? You say, I don't know. <laughs> or your wife. I don't know your proclivities, but whatever. Right. And you'd have to practice. I don't know. And I'm going to I'm only going to ask one question. What do I want? Yeah. OK. And that for you is going to be very, very hard. If I want to give you a hard thing, I'd say stop doing what you think you're competent at and don't do it anymore. Mm. Just stop. And and only ask the question when you wake up. I mean, if you really want to do a spiritual practice and, and if you really want to do a spiritual practice, you depend on people that you think are not really dependable. That is so interesting. Because you're the most competent one in the room. But what don't you like? You don't like being the one who isn't in control. So you say, I'll, I will cede all the control to you. And when you do it, it'll be good enough. Even if I can see that, are you kidding me? You washed the glasses that way? Because you'd have to say that there's a bigger picture, right? The bigger picture is, do I want to be in a relationship with my husband where I'm always like looking down at him because he's like doing things like in not the best way. So if I really want to have a good marriage, I may have to go into my powerlessness and my vulnerability and my weakness and my incompetence and allow all of it. And if I really want to give a protector a spiritual job, that's what I tell them. Because to tell them, like, you know, do the next hard thing on your list, they'd say, I can do that, like breathing. So that's not hard. That is that is deep. 
Dr. Han, I am so grateful that we spent this time today. You have given, I'm like so mind blown right now. I'm also thinking of like splitting this into two <laughs> episodes, you know, the trauma piece and the Enneagram, because it's just so much information, um, so much useful information. And I want people to know where they can find you, where therapists who be listening to the podcast can take some of this training and buy etc. Yeah, well, um, for, I want to say one thing because you asked me about essence work, okay? All right, so if we know that you're a person who's an eight, right? Well, really what you want, you're not free. The way we know you're not free is I do whatever I want. I'd say, really? Can you just read a book while everybody else around you is working and they're not doing it well enough and you can just sit there? No. <laughs> no, are you free? No. No. So if you really want to be free, you'd have to go into the thing that you were afraid to admit about yourself, right? Which is, I'm powerless, I'm vulnerable, I'm incompetent. All of those aspects of your being, you'd have to say, what would happen if instead of running away from them by being the most competent hierarchical person in the world, I stopped like being a, you know, a dribble on a treadmill? Mm. You know, but in order to do that, you'd have to face your fear, which in your case, you said, what's essence work? Essence work is, from my point of view, to find the thing that you're most afraid to have to experience and admit about yourself and then choose to experience. That's it. rejection the way for you, me. And I know what? that's rejection for me. No, that's an external fear, mm. right? You're talking about it. So that can't be it. You'd have to say, what is it about me? Mm that I'd be afraid of if I'm rejected. Mm. You can start with the external fear. When we do essence process with people and someone says, my fear is that I'll be rejected. Mm. Well, that, that starts it. And most Enneagram teachers think about core fears the way you talk about, that, that there'll be a fear of rejection. Well, that can't be it because it's an external fear. It's that something is going to be taken away from you, but then... What are you most afraid of if that's taken away from you? Uh, Why are you afraid of what? I would say vulnerability. Vulnerability. Well, then we're getting someplace. So it's like, you know, I put myself out there. And in your case, knowing something about you, my sense is you, you if you're in a relationship, you want to do something that's called possession surrender. It's like you want to build a world around the two of you and you want that relationship to be the one place that you say, is it going to be a place that I feel safe enough to share with you what I don't share with anybody else? Because I'm very private, yeah. even though I look very not private. Yep. <laughs> I don't let anybody into my world. So if I'm going to let you into my world, I have to know that we're going to possess each other and that we're going to surrender to this and nobody is going to get in. Why? Because if I if I don't do that, then I might be faced with not only rejection, but the amount of vulnerability, the amount of impotence, the amount of everything. Now, let's suppose instead of that, you say, I'm going to sit. I'm going to choose to sit with I am vulnerable and the fear of what that would be. I will guarantee you, you will find a body sensation. I guarantee it. And what you would do is you would choose to bring all your awareness there and focus on it so much that belly said that body sensation. And you'd say, I'm going to be here with you because you are a part of me. And in fact, if you want to know something, it's the part of you that really is divine. When they say, they say to God, where, you know, they say, where could, where the, where, where could we hide you? 
where could I hide that they'll never find me? And they say, within the person. Mm. And what really it is, is emptiness. But we call emptiness by the wrong name for reasons that I can tell you would take a little while. And in your case, you're going to call it this. You're going to call it from the belly point of view, right? I am no heart. I have no idea what I desire. I look there and there's just a black hole. From an eight point of view, it's going to be I am impotent. I am vulnerable. I am weak. I'm incompetent. From the sexual subtype point of view, it's that I am inner disconnection. Why do you think that you love so much to have a conversation like this where the rest of the world can go away and we're just going to be gazing into each other's eyes, right? Because when you have that, you say, oh, my God, this is erotic, not sexual, erotic, a live connection, right? But, like, what happens if I take all that away from you? And then what would be the big deal if I did? You'd say, well, I love it. But it's not just that you love it. You're afraid of something, too. That's the point, which is you'd have to face an inner emptiness that you're going to call disconnection. So you're compulsively going to need to deeply connect with people. You're not free. And so the way to become free is to face the things you're most afraid to admit so that when someone rejects you, you say, well, that's not, I mean, it's painful, but it's not something that terrorizes me because I've shown you my vulnerability or my weakness because I'm able to sit with my own vulnerability and weakness. The essence work is to be able to find the things that you're most afraid of, which there are four levels of. I've told you three of them. The deepest level is non-existence. And non-existence is really interesting because non-existence for our ego is the most terrorizing thing there is. It's called an existential anxiety. What happens if I just erase you, right? And you never existed at all. Like, it's not just you died. It's you never existed, right? We're just going to erase you. Mm. Like, you're going to look in the mirror and there's going to be nothing looking back at Mm. you. Okay? Now... From an egoic point of view, that's the biggest anxiety it is. But from a spiritual point of view, it's the point. Because if you know that what is emptiness, it's emptiness is everything is everything. It's what is divine, right? It's the part of you that is really says, I am everything, including all the space. So I am competent and incompetent. I am powerful and I'm weak. You know, there's a story, I mean, if I'm talking to you of, you know, one of my teachers told the story of, of, you know, what he said was the greatest American, Native American chief, and he was the greatest warrior in everything. And at one point he had a dream. And the dream was that he was just dressed like a little girl. And so what he did from then on was he said, I came to a realization. He said the, the chief came to a realization, which was that he and his tribe was too out of balance, too assertive and aggressive and not receptive enough. Wow. So he started dressing, he started to live with the women and children, and he dressed like a little girl. And the the nature of the story is when he was able to do that, no matter how much the tribe thrived before, it, it thrived in a whole, whole, whole greater way because they weren't living from a place of fear. Wow. So that's wow. our essence work. Because what you have to understand is your personality is just a way of protecting you from feeling a fear. If you feel the fear, then you won't be identified with your personality. And that's a remarkable thing to say, I have a personality, but it's not who I am. And you know the other way we know about this? I'll tell you, Janela. Late at night, right, when you're really honest with yourself, you'll know your weakness 
and you'll say, oh, shit, still here. You'll know your vulnerability. You know, I don't want anyone to know that, but you'll know it. And no matter how much you try not to let the vulnerability be there, at the end of the day, it will come knocking and say, I'm still I'm here. here. <laughs> I'm here. And you say, well, I want to get you the heck out of here. Like, why? I mean, what? Do, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And it says, I don't care, Janelle. I'm here. I want you to know something. I guarantee you, you can hate me. You can deny me. You can curse me. You can avoid me. You can do whatever you want. But I guarantee you, I won't leave you. I'll always be here with you. Now, what does God say? God says, you can hate me, you can deny me, you can do anything you want, but I promise you, everything else can leave, I'll be here with you. So the real irony is that the thing that we're most afraid to experience about ourselves is our misnaming of the divine. And all you have to do is sit with it and suddenly you'll realize all it is, is an enormous black hole that's inviting you into it. Mm. Go within. And that's what we do. With that, 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 that's that. what's sticking out for me. Go within. That's go the within. word that's sticking out for me right now. Go within. Yeah. Go within, but go within to the, the things that are the challenges because like you will always attract to you. You know, the law of attraction. Well, I'm going to tell you about the law of attraction. It's not what most people think because most people understand it in an egoic way. Law of attraction is I'll get more money or I'll be thinner or I'll be whatever. That's how most people talk about it. I will tell you, you attract to you exactly what it is that you need to heal and grow and to be in service to the healing and growth of life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, I don't know if you're Christian or not, but Jesus wasn't saying, you know, I don't think I'll get crucified tomorrow. I think I'll instead have a villa in southern France. Right. <laughs> because he knew that that was life was calling for. And at the end, he said, I'm not afraid to live my destiny. But first he had to live all of his terror, mm -hmm. right? And all of his fear about himself and all of his fear that his father would say, you know, I'm going to reject you and deny you. Until he finally said, it's all been an illusion, the whole thing, birth, death, rejection, everything. It's all just been a projection of my own inner fear. That's the essence process. And that's how you that's how you get away from being identified with your personality. Thank you. And it doesn't mean you lose your gifts. This is the key. It means you'll be free to live your gifts, not from a place of compulsion, but from a place of choice. So when you're really saying, like, my parents are suffering, and you say, you know what, I really want to take care of them, every bit of your competency and hierarchy you'll keep. But the day you say, you know what I want to do all day, it's scary to admit but I just want to stay in my PJs and just lie in bed and do nothing. I can do it. And I won't worry about the fact of the fact that everyone around me is going to say, what happened to her? I thought she was competent. I thought she was like someone who had all this energy. She's lying in bed all day. There must be something wrong. But the answer is there would be something right. Oh, this is amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Han. Uh, we're up for time right now, but I really appreciate this conversation, everything that you've provided. I'm so excited. So tell people where they can find you. All right. Where they can find us um, is lifecenteredtherapy.com. That's our website. If you want to do our training, um, I will send it to you, but it's um, go.readyforamiracle backslash training. So that's where if you want to sign up, because we train people Right now, we, we do our training 
in the Enneagram and we do our trainings um, on life-centered therapy. But right now, because we're only doing remote trainings, we just started our online trainings. The only trainings we're giving right now are our introduction to life-centered therapy, which is how you can heal yourself or heal others from trauma. So, um, and if you want to reach us, all the information you need is on our website. And, you know, um, we do therapy, we do trainings. I'll put, yep. We talk to wonderful podcast people, you know. I'll put everything on um, the show notes so that everyone can click on the link and go find you. Thank you so much again. It's a a pleasure. And if you ever really want to see the work, right? I can do I can do remote demonstrations because it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to experience it. And, you know, if you ever want me to do one on your show, either with you or with somebody mm-hmm. else, because we do we do that all the time. We work with people all over the world because we do remote muscle testing. We do we we surrogate for you and we muscle test ourselves as though we're you. And then you can do it. doesn't matter whether you're, you know, on the moon or sitting in my office. It doesn't matter. That is, so yes, That's great. I will definitely, definitely reach back out to you. Thank you again, Dr. Han. Well, thank you. And thank you for having us come on because like, you know, this is my passion and you give me a chance to share it. So I'm unbelievably grateful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.